0: Welcome back to the Dinner Table Podcast, where we bring conversations to the dinner table that your family wouldn't. Today we'll be discussing circumcision, how it started, how it became controversial, and how we viewed ourselves.
1: Hi, thanks for joining us at the dinner table. Before we begin, we would like to disclaim that these views do not reflect the state news and our opinions are subject to change at later dates. Thank you for joining.
0: Hey Griffin, how you doing? I'm good
1: Tessa, how are
0: you? I'm good. Uh, you ready to talk about circumcision? I'm
1: ready to talk about circumcision. Alright, so male circumcision is one of the oldest medical procedures to date. The earliest records depicting the practice came from the Egyptian tomb work and wall paintings dating from around 2300 BC. So it's been around for a while, really.
0: Yeah, truly. I mean, the Egyptian culture, I think a lot of people trace it back to religion, but... I do agree, yes. It really came from something else.
1: But on the topic of religion, tell me about the relationship between religion and circumcision.
0: So like a lot of people where they guess, a lot of religions do associate with circumcision. Like Judaism is the highest one where male infants are traditionally circumcised on their eighth day of life. This tradition comes from the Torah and the covenant between Abraham and God in Genesis. All Jewish men in Israel are circumcised. 99% of Jewish men are circumcised in the UK, Great Britain, and Northern Ireland. And then 98% of Jewish men in the US are circumcised. So
1: circumcision really was in the book of Genesis. They really said first and foremost, circumcision.
0: And then in Islam, circumcision is required to lawfully make the haji, uh, so like the pilgrimage to
1: wow do you think of it as like a rite of passage in religions or do you think it's just something that has always been in the religions and they just haven't
0: sectioned it out as i was reading it is viewed as like i don't know if it's viewed for all the religions like this but i know that they were talking about how it is like a rite of passage to being a man. So it's very important that at some time in a man's life you get circumcised.
1: And are there any other religious um, connotations to circumcision? Uh, Any other relationships? Yes, there's
0: actually quite a few. Hinduism and Buddhism have a neutral stance on circumcision, actually. Um, The Coptic Christians in Egypt and the Ethiopian Orthodox Christians practice circumcision. Um, Other forms of Christianity do not prescribe it in um, reference to St. Paul, who wrote that circumcision, whether Jesus was or was not circumcised, does not amount to anything. So they don't say, like, you should do it because Jesus did it. They're just saying you can do it if you want, but it's not going to help or hinder you.
1: I do remember reading something that Abraham is born canonically without foreskin. I don't know if that is in the religious canon anywhere but Abraham supposedly no foreskin.
0: Interesting.
1: Very interesting.
0: So here's the, the crazy thing about circumcision is you know especially as like a female I you know I was introduced to this at freshman year maybe maybe we can be ambitious and say sixth grade when I started learning about sex and stuff but like you don't know about it before but it is this big huge cultural thing with men and Like, you can break it down between religion, ethnicity, like class, medical reasons, and social determinants. So it's just kind of crazy that this is just such a big deal. As far as ethnicity goes, Sub-Saharan Africa, Aboriginal Australians, Aztecs, Mayans in America, inhabitants of Philippines and Eastern Indonesia, as well as various Pacific Islands and Polynesia all practice circumcision for non-religious reasons.
1: Okay, go so, off, yeah. I guess. And kind of piggybacking off of the cultural aspects of circumcision, there's a lot of social and cultural things that go into the, or not that go into, but correlate with circumcision. Being circumcised is significantly associated with secondary and university level education. So a lot of people okay. who are uncircumcised in this, well, the study that the status is from was conducted in Africa. And a lot of the people who were circumcised went on to secondary and university education. And people who were not circumcised did not go on to further education as much as people who were circumcised.
0: I feel like that's, like, the difference between correlation and causation. So, like, I feel like maybe that has something to do with, like, if you have... Access to medical care? No, I do definitely think it has to do with accessibility too. A higher ability to go to school too. Mm
1: -hmm. And there's, of course, there's hygiene. People who are not circumcised as a child and later on in life get circumcised, it's a hygienic reason if they do it themselves or if parents circumcise their kids. Or if parents circumcise their kids, it's for hygienic reasons. Adolescents and young adults are more likely to be circumcised. Social and sexual desirability are also really big social determinants in being circumcised. Okay. A lot of men in the study identified sexual desirability specifically as one of the biggest reasons they were circumcised. From youth? Whether it's from youth or as an adult and going back to get circumcised. Sexual desirability was, I'm pretty sure, the top reason. There's a perception that circumcision improves penile hygiene and lowers the risk of infection, which actually is true. It has been reported on extensively that circumcised men are at a significantly lower risk of urinary tract infections, HIV-AIDS, syphilis, penile cancer, and HPV than men who are uncircumcised. A significantly lower. There's also diseases in the penile region that circumcision can help to ease, if that makes sense. Like, phimosis is an affliction that happens when the structure of the foreskin has a narrow opening and stops it from being retracted to uncover glands, along with the medical aspect. A lot of people think that circumcision diminishes sexual pleasure or that it diminishes sexual desire, and there's little evidence that supports the theory that sexual function and sexual desire is diminished. So really, the studies are inconsistent in the results that they yield, Mm -hmm. so there's really little evidence to suggest that circumcision has an impact on sexual desire and sexual function, period.
0: Okay, Griffin.
1: Alright, Tessa, what's up?
0: I have some questions for you. Fire away. I want to know What do you think ethically about circumcision?
1: All right. Well, personally, I grew up circumcised, was circumcised very early on. Can
0: I go as far as to ask you, are you still circumcised to this day?
1: I am still circumcised. It did not grow back.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Just
0: the way you had made it sound, you were like, I was circumcised.
1: I was at a time circumcised. Yes, yeah, so I I thought that all penises looked like circumcised. I thought penises were, they just came circumcised. Like, I didn't know it was a whole procedure until later on in life. I'm glad I was circumcised. I have to be honest. I am glad because I think aesthetically, for one, circumcision makes the penis look more attractive. Okay.
0: Have ever met a guy that said that he didn't want to be circumcised?
1: I've met guys who are uncircumcised, but I have never asked if they want to be.
0: Okay. How do you feel about, like, if, you know, if you gave a child that choice, like, you decided not to circumcise them, and you said, like, if when they're an adult and they want to do it, they can do it. Do you think that's, like... Right, or do you think that you might I as think well that's just do it when they can't feel it? I
1: think that's right. Um, I do feel like there are advantages to doing it when they are younger, especially with the disease prevention and the convenience. If you're already in a hospital, you might as well.
0: Okay, I, I personally, under the topic of general mutilation, if we could call it that, I wouldn't. Like, if I had a son, I wouldn't want to make that decision for him. I don't think that's fair for me. Um, I think that might be violating some of his rights. And I think that he can do it when he's older. I mean, we've got good medicine. He can be knocked out, get it done.
1: True. I do think that in white America, it's a lot easier for someone to let their children not be circumcised and let them decide on their own. But in other countries um, and other places in the world, I do feel like there's a danger aspect to circumcision period. Like I feel since I live in America with some of the most cutting edge medical innovations and technologies, circumcision is, it is the most commonly done procedure in America, circumcision. So it's very, it's like not that deep. But in other countries, or developing countries with lack of accessibility and a lack of medical expertise, it's a lot safer in America to be circum or to get a circumcision than it like is in, in other places. Yeah. If I wasn't from America, I feel like my opinion would be different on circumcision. I genuinely feel like I would have a different thought process. Okay,
0: interesting. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, it's up to them when they're adults or younger. I mean, like, if he's like, I have a son, he's 16. I think you can make rational choices about your penis at 16. And if he wants to get it cut because he wants to be cut, I will...
2: Ready today.
0: All
1: right, so we're just going to jump right into a couple of questions about circumcision. So how does being circumcised benefit the person who's receiving the procedure. So
2: circumcision basically helps in three ways that they found through time through the literature. First of all, it decreases your risk of urinary tract infections, especially in the first year of life. It also cuts down a little bit on your risk for penile cancer. And then recent literature also indicates that it decreases the transmission of certain sexually transmitted diseases, including diseases like HIV.
0: So are there any health risks to circumcision? And if so, what are they?
2: So the risks for health issues really come down to the, the time of the procedure. Mm-hmm. So obviously with any type of surgery, there's a risk for bleeding, infection, possibly even damage to the penis itself, which is rare but does occur. And in older individuals, as well as babies, when the circumcision occurs, typically anesthetic is used and there's the risk of the anesthesia. So
1: still on that adult versus child time of when you get the procedure, are there Mm -hmm. any other differences between getting the procedure as a child and as an adult?
2: So yeah, there's actually huge differences. The current feeling by the American Academy of Pediatrics is that the benefits do slightly outweigh the risks, but the benefits are not significant enough to state universally circumcision should be done. Instead we typically leave it to the parents and children. As far as differences between adults and children, obviously the obvious difference is the size of the instruments used to do the circumcision. The other major difference is um, with an adult you're doing it basically With the equipment, oftentimes after the procedure, you need to sew up the area rather than just allowing it to heal. And with adults, obviously, you use um, significantly more anesthesia, usually a general anesthetic rather than just a local, which is what we do in children.
0: How common are misconceptions about circumcision?
2: There's a lot of misconceptions about circumcisions. People don't really understand what the procedure is. So the procedure in a lot of ways is a blind procedure, meaning that you're not actually, when you do it, there's a base put on the penis and a apparatus that goes over the top of it, so the amount of tissue removed can be difficult to tell how much you're removing at the time of the circumcision. So there's differences in how the appearance is at the end of the procedure, and so at some points, not enough of the foreskin is removed. and secondary procedures may need to occur and people don't understand that there is a true risk to doing the procedure as far as the bleeding infection and so forth. The procedure can be done three different ways. Most people don't understand that. There's what's called the GOMCO clamp which is the one done most commonly at this point in time Um, and that's basically a metal apparatus that has a base to it Um, with a little hole in it that the foreskin is pulled through, and a bell over the top of the penis so that there's no trauma to the penis. There's also called a plasti-bell, which is done with the same kind of apparatus, but it's plastic and actually left on until the skin falls off because of um, pressure to the skin. And then last, there's a Mogen that's been around the longest, and that's kind of a guillotine type of procedure where actually the head of the penis is pushed down and the foreskin is guillotine cut off. So how common are circumcision procedures? So it, it's, that's an interesting question. It varies quite a bit. Obviously, there's religious thoughts to whether a circumcision should be done or not. Looking back, about three-quarters of adult males have been circumcised. Back in the 60s, the circumcision rate was about 90%. It's dropped about 1% each year since then, so that now we're in approximately 50%, 50-50. But there's areas, even within the United States, the Midwest has a, the higher incidence of circumcision, and the Western United States has a lower incidence, probably close to 30 to 40% in the West, where it's like 60% in the Midwest.
0: At what time in life do most men get circumcised?
2: Most of the time, circumcision occurs shortly after birth, usually in the neonatal period. By far, most of the circumcisions are done then. If there's a problem, so obviously some of the anomalies of the penis show up as you're doing the procedure. So if you look underneath the foreskin before you remove the foreskin, and there may be a problem there, they recommend actually not completing the circumcision at that point, and waiting till 6 to 12 months where you can actually use the foreskin to help fix the anomaly that might be underneath there. If a baby's not stable when they're born, we'll wait till the baby's stable, and one of the last things, for example, a preemie born in the neonatal unit, we typically do that a day or two before they're discharged, even if they're 3, 6 months old, so just depends.
0: And then what about adults?
2: Adults, after typically, you know, a child gets to a certain age, we usually allow, we usually then won't do a circumcision until they're 18 and they can consent to doing it if they so choose rather than trying to have, for example, a teenager do it. You want the child at that point to make a decision about whether they want it or not. Unless there's some kind of problem. and adults do consent pretty regularly because of issues that they've had infection of the foreskin, um, the foreskin not retracting totally normally at that point, then we you know, get their consent and go ahead and do the circumcision.
0: How often do you say for clients that are adults, do they come in for like what you said medical issues? Or are they more like, Is the majority of them like aesthetic problems, or what do you think? So
2: the vast majority of circumcisions really are done for aesthetic issues. There's some done for medical issues, but that's a small number. Um, By far, the aesthetic issues that the male wants to look like um, his peers and his peers are all circumcised or his dad was circumcised, and so as a young boy, he, they wanted those type of things. So it's, it's much, if you look at the statistics, about 90% of the time, the baby, or in this case, an adult male, wants to, the reason for doing it is to look like the other kids or adults, depending on.
0: So what do you think of Dr. Greenberg?
2: I actually really enjoyed
1: talking with Dr. Greenberg. I really learned a lot about circumcision. I had no idea a lot of that stuff.
0: I mean, yeah, I learned a lot, too. I learned a lot about the procedure. Interesting to know a lot about, you know, when they get it as youth and also when they get it as adults and how adult is more aesthetic. Mm -hmm. They pick how the procedure plays in and how the risk of infection is happening, and how the procedure isn't foolproof. Very
1: enlightening. What is your final take on circumcision?
0: My final take is that I do think it should be the child's choice. I do think, like Dr. Greenberg said, the risks aren't big enough nor, like, proven enough. They're not, like, 100% you're going to get these every single time if you don't circumcise. So I do believe that, like, we shouldn't be circumcising infants, and we should let them have a choice.
1: I do like that Dr. Greenberg said that they will not circumcise a child until, like a child child, until they are of an age to be able to consent. Mm-hmm. I do think that that is a good measure to make sure that it's what the kid wants.
0: Yeah but it's interesting that they do that when the child becomes of, like, cognizant age, but as an infant, they're fine doing it. What's your final take?
1: I think that circumcision is still more beneficial than detrimental to the person who is being circumcised. While I do think that if the person being circumcised is cognizant, they should be able to consent or deny the circumcision but i do think that infants being circumcised can be beneficial in lowering risk of UTIs and penile diseases that they may be plagued with in their infancy and toddlerhood
0: all right. Thank you so much for listening. Yes.
1: Check out our other episode. Stay tuned for future episodes.
0: Follow The State News on Instagram. Feel free to email us on topics or anything that you'd like to say. My email is tessa.osborne at statenews.com.
1: My email is griffin.wiles at statenews.com. And you can also reach me on Twitter if you have any burning hot takes at Griffin
0: Reach me at Twitter at Osborne Tessa. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Bye.